This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for a free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 5, Episode 24, Author's Responsibility to the Reader, with Kevin J. Anderson. Fifteen minutes long, because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And I'm your guest, Kevin J. Anderson. Kevin is a um, many-time New York Times best-selling author, um, known for numerous things. The Saga of the Seven Suns series his own. He's worked on the Dune books, with um, co- co-writing those with, um, with Brian, Brian Herbert. Herbert. Um, and... You you have 100 books in print. Uh, so. Well, actually, I have more than 100 books in print. There's a lot of them, but there are 100 different titles. We'll put it that way. Okay. And um, today we want to talk about um, a lot of when we have a guest star, we like to ask them specific questions. And we've all answered these questions before. Kevin, what's your work day like? I work all the time. Okay. That's about my day. Okay. I, I get up in the morning, but as a writer, everything you do is writing-related. When you're reading something, when you're reading the newspaper, when you're watching the news, that's writing-related. When you're reading a book, when I'm plotting something, when I'm researching sailing ships, when I'm buying a Boba Fett action figure, that's all work-related. But my writing day, I'm a morning person. I get up, and I have my coffee, and I'm all fired up, and I write with a, a digital recorder. I'll go out with my notes and I'll walk for a couple of hours and come back with maybe 15 or 20 pages dictated. And that's, that's my morning. I've written two or three chapters in the morning. And then over lunch, I usually have a meeting with uh, my, my wife, who's my co-author on many things, with some of our employees to do business stuff. Afternoon, I'll answer uh, emails. I might do some interviews. And then I will edit chapters that I have written on a previous day. And then in the evening, after I cook a lovely dinner for us and my wife and I might brainstorm a project we're doing, then we could be watching, say, Caprica or some science fiction-related movie or, or TV show that I might work for. And uh, then when I go to, before I go to bed, I'll often take a bath, and I've been reading slush pile stories for an anthology I'm editing. And then okay. I go to sleep and get up the next morning. So um, you notice the title of this podcast was Author's Responsibility to the Reader. This is actually one that um, Kevin suggested to us. Um, I asked for your day first off because um, you are known in the industry as a very reliable writer. You meet your contracts. You turn things in on time. Um, This is an industry where that's not necessarily common. Um, We've all heard stories. I don't know. um, Listeners may not have, but I've heard a lot of stories. Authors are pretty notorious about not meeting contracts. In fact, this surprised me the first time um, when I had a contract because you know I was working really hard to get meet my deadline and I got it and I sent it in and my editor was surprised and I'm like but <laughs> yes. this was the deadline it's in the contract he's like yeah yeah no one pays attention to that um, have you have you had that experience Kevin well I know a lot of other authors who who seem to think deadlines are a suggestion instead of yeah. a contract and I remember how uptight I was when my contractor was building our house and we were supposed to move in on October first and October first comes and he says oh I might be done by December mm-hmm. well I grew up that you're a person of your word and if you said you're going to do it by a certain day you do it by a certain day and when I was in college and I had a deadline for a term paper my professor didn't want me to turn it in a month late it was the time but I worked so hard to become an author I wanted to be a professional author that when I finally became a professional author there was no way I was going to blow it by just not fulfilling my responsibilities and it's a contract. It's a legal contract with the publisher. And you sign your name on the bottom of it that says, I promise I will turn in this book by this date. 
I take it seriously. And I think the readers who are reading a series because they want to read the next book in, oh, say, the Wheel of Time series or something like that, they want to know that it comes out when they're expecting it. And I've done the Saga of Seven Sons, which was seven volumes long, 700-page books. I turn those in every year on time, and they came out every year on time, and people could rely on that. And I think that writers, too many writers don't treat their job as a writer as a job. It's a job. Most people have to go to a job at 8 o'clock in the morning. They have to clock in. They have to work a certain number of hours before they get to go home. For writers, they don't get a pass on that, that if you're a lawyer, you're expected to put in so many hours per day. If you're a doctor, you put in so many hours per day. If you are managing a restaurant, if anybody you, any of you know people who manage a restaurant, that person's there like from the early morning until midnight when the, when the restaurant closes. Being a writer, a successful writer, is no different from that. You should put in your time, do your work, and, and meet your deadlines. Now, I had the same attitude, Kevin, when I first started cartooning. Uh, there were a few comic strips that I followed online, and, and all of a sudden they went on hiatus because the cartoonist had some life issue or another, and I felt betrayed. And I told myself, all right, you know, I'm starting my own comic, and that thing that just happened, never going to do that. And so for 11 years, Schlock Mercenary has updated every day without fail to the point that fans of other comic strips will sometimes yell at the creators of those comic strips and say, why can't you be more like Howard Taylor? I don't get a whole lot of love from the other creators for being that guy, but my fans... I get plenty of love from them, and I'm glad I made that decision. And it's the same thing. I treated it like a like a job. I decided this is my job. I'm going to act like a professional. And your responsibility really is more towards your fans and your readers than it is to your fellow writers who might be annoyed at you for meeting the deadlines you agreed to do in the first place. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's the uh, the factory floor. Uh, union worker scenario. Hey, slow down, kid. You're making the rest of us look bad. You know, I've actually had this a little bit. Um, people come up to me and say, you're so prolific. How do you do it? Um, By putting in eight hours a day like most other people yeah, do. And, and, I mean, um, every writer is going to be different. Some people are not going to be able to produce new fiction eight hours a day. I actually can't. I usually can produce new fiction for about six hours of the day. Um, but I can fill my, the rest of my time with other things. And beyond that, um, when people come up to me and say, Brandon, you're so prolific, I say, let's break it down. How fast do you, you know, if you have, how many words do you write in an hour when it's working for you, when it's going really well? And they'll say, oh, you know, yada, yada. Um, you know, low end people say 200 words in an hour. And I'll say, well, if you wrote four hours a day and you did that every day, every week, you know, five days a week. You're only working four hours a day, but you're producing a thousand words a day. That's 200,000 words a year. That's two average novels. That's two average novels. And that's not even very, you know, not even working very hard, honestly. Well, one and a half when you finish editing out all the... uh, Yeah, it might, well... Killing the the dark. And I I did some of these numbers when I I did a a blog post, and I'm sure you mentioned what my blog is, but I had a mathematics of productivity when people were saying Kevin you're, you're, you're a hack because you write so much you're so prolific and I said but wait a minute most writers don't write full time they have a regular job full time 
and they write in the evenings for an hour or two or they work some on the weekends for an hour or two. So the number of hours that the average writer puts in a week yeah. or can put in a week because of other commitments yeah, it's, you know, five hours, six hours or something like that. Okay, I put in six to ten hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah. So you multiply that out. I'm spending as many hours per book as any of these other non-prolific writers are, I just put in more hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can put, if a, a writer who does one book a year, because yeah. he's working a full-time job and, and then writes in the evenings or on the weekends, somebody writes one book a year, which is an acceptable rate for the people who complain that you write too fast. One book a year, nobody's going to complain that you're writing too fast. Well, that person has put in you know, whatever the, the math works out. I've, I've worked it out before, but... The, that number of hours per book, I put in that many hours per book in five weeks. I spend mm-hmm. that many hours writing in five weeks that a, a one book a year author spends in a year. That doesn't mean I spend any less time on my books. I just put more time into writing. Let's go ahead and pause for our book of the week. Um, we're going to have uh, Kevin tell us about um, uh, the Crystal Doors. Tell us what the sure. first, first book is um, and tell us a little bit about it. Uh, on audible.com a young adult fantasy trilogy that my wife Rebecca Mesta and I wrote called Crystal Doors the first book is Island Realm it's it's a group of uh, modern teenagers that get thrown to a place a lot like Atlantis so they're on an island where magic and technology work and they're being uh, trained in in how to use their abilities and they're at war with an undersea the island is at war with an undersea kingdom so it's it's fun for the people who loved our Young Jedi Knights books would be a great audience for that. Excellent. Um, you can go to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse, uh, download a free copy of it, start a 14-day free trial. Uh, details are on the Writing Excuses website if you want to um, look there. Okay, let's, um, let's try and take this and point it specifically at our listeners. Um, our listeners are listening, and a lot of them are saying, okay, that's great for you guys, but I've not sold a book yet. I don't work full-time. How does this apply to me? What, what you're saying, how does, it, how does it help me? Or what does it change about me? Well, the attitude of, of being professional and taking your writing seriously as a job is applicable if you've got two hours a night or if you've got 10 hours a day. Mm-hmm. That if you decide you want to be a writer, you need to carve out time for it and, and think of it like you're going to a second job. So if, for instance, like you did, Brandon, having a job at a, a night desk in a hotel, you've got hours to work on it. If you're somebody who works at a bank and you go in from 8 to 5 and you come home after 5, try to set up for yourself from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m., that's your writing work day. So go to your writing office and you clock in at 9 p.m. and you work for two hours and clock out. Yeah. If you take it seriously and think of it as a job rather than, well, when I get around to it, but there's a football game on tonight and I'm a little bit tired, so maybe I'll just skip it. And you don't get to have that attitude going to your banking job. You can't have that attitude going to your writing job. One of the things that I found when I was working at Novell um, and I was in middle management, salaried, putting in you know 60 hours a week for a 40-hour-a-week salary and still putting out the comic... Uh, one of the things that I found is that by blocking out time for myself in the evening when I knew I had to work on the comic, I got home, I got to my desk, and I hit the ground running. Nowadays, uh, hitting the ground running is a lot more difficult. You know, I wake up in the morning and I think, okay, yeah, sometime this morning I've got to get started, and it takes a lot more time to get the engine running, mm-hmm. um, except on days 
uh, like this Wednesday, uh, we were going to have lunch with Mary Robinette, and I realized I've got to get a whole week of comics inked between now and lunch. And so I sprang out of bed and was at the drawing table running and, and got it all done. And so that attitude where you are setting off a portion of your day uh, and you're going to get as much done as you can right there, that will serve the new writer well who has you know, 12 hours a day of other commitments. And you'll be amazed how, you, how much you can get done in a limited time. You might think, I've only got two hours, how can I get anything done? But if you've only got two hours, that's all the time you've got and you get things done. And one, one other thing to help with this is to make sure that your family is on board. Because uh -huh. if yeah. your spouse or your kids or whoever know that from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. is Howard's inking time or writing time or whatever it is, that's, that's sacred territory. That this, mm -hmm. It's just like you're in your office at the bank. The wife doesn't bother you in the office at the bank. The kids don't bother you in the office at the bank because you're at work. Yep. Well, if this is your two hours of writing time at home, you're at work. It's your job. You're in your office. It's just like you're in another building. I um, often say to writers, something that I don't think they really understand, new writers, is for me, there's a difference between writing time and pondering time. Um, and Dan and I have talked about this before, that there's a certain amount of, I don't know what you call it, going to the creative well inside your head. We've talked about it a little bit on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And when my time was shorter, I actually got more done in that small amount of time per hour than I sometimes get done now. And I think it comes down to the idea that there's a certain amount of creative energy. And if I spend all day waiting for that moment to write and go over in my head over and over these plots, when I sit down, it's easier for me to take off running. And in some ways, I envy the older, the, the younger me um, who only had, you know, had a, a definite time resource that was precious because it turned some of that concentrated writing time into some of the best writing sessions I've ever had. I still have those occasionally, but the external pressure isn't quite there. And I also, you know, the whole going back to the well um, sort of thing. Anyway, I, what I'm trying to say is, listeners, not having a lot of time is not a very good excuse. Um, mm -hmm. There are some good excuses, but time is actually not that good of one. Um, in fact, I, I know of another, well, he was a fairly popular science fiction author who came up with one or two books every year working a full-time job and writing in his spare time. And then his wife got promoted, their, their household income increased dramatically, and she said, honey, you've always wanted to be a full-time writer. You can quit your job now and just write all day long. And he did, and he's published one book in 10 years since he mm. became a full-time <laughs> writer. Uh, sometimes being hungry makes the food taste better. Yeah. Um, I often suggest to new writers is find a time that is going to be your thinking about your book time. Go work out. Um, I love what Kevin does. Um, he, we, he, he, I've mentioned it before on the podcast because I think it's so awesome. He dictates all his books um, while hiking in the mountains in Colorado, which just seems like um, partially a dream job. Um, but also, you know, when you're moving, when you're walking, something happens to a lot of our brains the way we work, and it helps you actually construct things. I know that a lot of my best thinking mm -hmm. time is when I'm working out. Um, so the other I used to yeah. have a job, not, not at the hotel night shift, but I used to clean and water 50,000 white lab rats in a lab rat farm. I would spend all day long with Muzak playing because the soft music made the rats happy. All I was doing was hanging water bottles or scraping crap off the bottom of the cages all day long. It's the most mind-numbingly boring job you can imagine. But boy, I plotted so many novels during those days. I just thought, thought of my scenes and the characters so that by the time I got home, the words were ready to come out. 
I do want to say one thing to, to close out this podcast. Um, the reason I called it what I did, Author's Responsibility to the Reader, um, is because you know a lot has been written about this, and I don't want to contradict any other authors. Everyone has their own way of thinking about it and way of talking. Neil Gaiman has a very long, brilliant post um, regarding author responsibility and reader responsibility authors, but I've always looked at this as... I am making a contract with my readers. When I say I'm going to release a series of books, I believe that I have an obligation to continue that series and put them out in a timely manner because when you buy the first one to support the project, you are buying into my offer of a contract to you. Now, you know, different authors approach things different ways, but I really want to say to you listeners, try and think of it more that way. Think, it, think about the privilege it is to actually be writing these stories and sharing them with people and treat it like a responsibility. I think the duality you're looking for here, Brandon, is the difference between the writer's attitude and the reader's attitude. Yeah. Um, if you are just a reader listening to this podcast, please don't talk yeah. to your favorite writers and say, you have a responsibility to me, sit down and yes. write a book. Just mm-hmm. Why don't you just go enjoy some books that have been written and, and just keep reading? Writers, know that there are readers out there who are sitting on their hands uh, quietly expecting you to be more responsible than you are and, uh, and, and, and get to work. All right. I, I think that's a great way to close it out. Um, Do we have a writing prompt? Dan, writing prompt us. Oh, dear. Writing prompt. Okay. You're going to write a story about uh, a world in which writers are uh, subject to the whims of their readers on a, a pleasure-pain uh, system Ooh. in real time. <laughs> So as readers are reading your books and enjoying them, you are happy. And if they start to dislike them or if they start to get impatient, then you, you experience physical pain. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.